Well, thank you, Pastor Joe. Well, it is indeed. Uh, it's wonderful to see the children in here. It's 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 a just a blessing to worship God together as a family. I'm always pleased when we are able to worship and, and do that way. He has designed the family. Um, so that we can worship Him together. And so it's wonderful to, to see all the young ones here um, this morning. Well, as Joe mentioned, this morning we'll be beginning, or we'll continuing rather, through our, our study of Colossians. So uh, please flip to, or turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. As most of you know, last summer, uh, my wife and I, Leanne and I, uh, we had the, the just amazing uh, privilege to lead a, a youth trip to uh, England. And we were there for a couple weeks and we did a, a VBS camp uh, with, some of the, w- with the local church there and did some you know, evangelism and outreach. And, uh, and it was just a, a great time. It was uh, a time I'll always remember. And on one of the last days, as we were, uh, before we were leaving, we had an occasion to sightsee uh, before we left from London. And, and one of the sights that we got to see was the Tower of London. Uh, it's a it's a great it's like one of those you know things that if you go to London you always try to see one of those kind of tourist things. Um, but centuries ago, the Tower of London was the home of the kings and queens of England, or at least that's where they either lived or, and were coronated um, to their to their throne. Then um, after that, after some time, the Tower of London later kind of became a prison and a and a place uh, where people were executed. Um, But today, famously now, it's mainly a a tourist spot, but it's where uh, the crown jewels of England are are held. And so you go there, you can see kind of, it's like a castle-like thing, but you go in and you you see these, you know, magnificent jewels, you know, diamonds like the size of my fist, you know, magnificent swords and different ornate uh, things um, of jewels and and gold and all those kind of things. it's, It's wonderful to behold. And guarding the Tower of London today, aside from the Royal Guards, and the Royal Guards are those guys with the red coats and those big kind of flurry, fluffy hats that they can't smile, so you, you can dance in front of them and they just stand there. Uh, in addition to them, there are these, there are the, there's a group called the Yeoman Wardens, um, and they're also known as Beef Eaters. You may have heard of them, they're called Beef Eaters because centuries ago, part of their pay was in beef. Uh, which was an expensive commodity at the time, and so some of the lesser expensive guards or military people would be envious of that because they were able to eat beef. Um, and I don't know if you've ever seen them, or maybe you have, you didn't realize it, but their uniforms are not really like the kind of military uniforms you might see. They're more kind of something you would see from an Alice in Wonderland you know, movie or something like that. They kind of got your Mad Hatter kind of hats and kind of flowery different things, and they're black and they're red. And so it's not really the kind of uniform that you would see out of a prestigious military guard. But to them, to those yeoman wardens, the uniform is one of dignity and respect. It's one that they've worked hard to earn and one that they they take pride in keeping and and, um, one that they work to to have uh, respect and so I was curious about how one becomes a beef eater. Not necessarily that I have any ideas of trying to become one, but because I'm a history buff and I'm interested in those kind of things. And so I did a little research and found out that it is actually very difficult. There are only 35 of them, and the 35 of them actually live within the walls of the Tower of London with their families, and they, they, they guard it and also keep it. In order to become a beef eater, even today, one must have served at least 22 years in active service in the military and has also, uh, while serving, received a long service and good conduct medal. 
And in addition to all this, um, today, the Beefeaters uh, just shows a sign of our time with tourism, but they also serve as the official tour guides of the Tower of London. So when you go there, I mean, you can pay for your own you know, tours from a different agency, but when you show up there, they are the tour guides. And so in order to become a Beefeater, uh, they go through like a very strenuous history exam covering over 600 years of history of dates and names and people and places. And it's not just a written exam. When they finally try to go take the test, uh, their kind of superiors walk around and they have to walk around the Tower of London pointing out uh, why certain towers are important, what, what happened, who did what and where, and so they're judged on how quickly they go and how accurate the information is. And it's, I was surprised to see how, how uh, regimented it is. And the reason why they do this is because when the people of England and even tourists come, there's a certain expectation of these beefeaters. When they see them and these people in uniform, they expect them to know about the Tower of London. They, they, were, they expect to, uh, for them to be able to give insight and, and, and keep their office as a place of respect. They're expected to have certain knowledge and experience. And so all who wear this uniform go through um, these rigid qualifications to make sure they're worthy to do so. They don't just pull people in off the street to wear the uniform. They take pride in the uniform and they work diligently to be worthy of it. And in finding this, I, I thought that, you know, in many ways, this attitude should also be the same for you as a Christian, for you as believers. A person who calls himself a Christian should also have certain qualities, certain things that uh, people expect to come from you. Certain knowledge, certain um, lifestyle choices. So that you walk worthy of the name. That you walk worthy of being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a worthy office, and so we should work to walk in a way that is worthy of that. And that's what Paul turns to this morning. That's what Paul's topic and instruction is for us through the letter of, first, of, of the chapter, chapter 1 of Colossians. rather. And just by way of reminder, before we, we get into the text, uh, last time we talked in the beginning of, of Colossians, Colossians was written by Paul from a Roman prison to a group of believers in Colossae who he had never met before. He didn't know these believers at all. He knew about them because there was a man named Epaphras who came. He was most likely the pastor of the church. And he came to visit Paul while he was in prison. And Epaphras, as, as ministers do, he, he shared with Paul the concerns and the, and, and the strengths of the church and what was going on and, and, the, and the things that he was happy about, but also some of the challenges they faced and some of the questions that he had as a, as a minister. And so in response, Paul writes this letter. And in the beginning, in, in verse 3, he, he notes that he thanks God for them. He prays for them and he, and he is grateful to God for the work that the Lord has done through this group of believers. But he doesn't just stop there. He moves on and he encourages them. He's, not, he, he's grateful for what the Lord has done, but now he encourages them to grow and to serve the Lord all the more. To walk worthy of being a Christian. And that's, and that's his instruction this morning. So we'll, we'll pick up in, in verse 9 of chapter 1. Colossians 1, verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance And patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. 
Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Lord, we are grateful for your word. Father, we ask that uh, you would be with us at this time as we um, study your word, Lord, that you would enlighten our hearts and minds to know your truth and apply it to our lives in a way that is pleasing to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul continues and he says, From the first day we heard of your salvation, from the first day we heard about how the Lord is working you, we have not ceased to pray for you and, and, and we gave thanks to God. But the prayer didn't stop there. He prayed specifically for them. And what did he pray? Paul says, I prayed asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. What does Paul mean by this? Why why is he praying that that they know the will of God? It's funny, I would venture to say that if you're a Christian or even others, most people in this room at some point in time have prayed to God to ask Him for His will. That's a fair assumption. At some point in time, you want to know, what does God want for my life? What does He expect from me? What, what decision am I supposed to make? What school am I, should I go to? Who should I marry? Should I take this job? Should I move? Lord, what, what's your will for my life? Many books have been written on the subject. In fact, uh, honestly speaking, that's probably one of the most common questions I get, even as a pastor. Pastor James, I'm just trying to find out what the Lord's will is for my life. And, that, and that's good. But it's funny how this is, trying to find God's will for your life has oftentimes become the world's biggest mystery as if it's some sort of treasure that you need to find a special map to find and dig and find it. And if you don't, all is lost. In his book, Knowing God, by J.I. Packer writes of this, of this woman who diligently wanted to seek God's will in every aspect of her life. Which, at first, sounds like a noble thing, until you kind of read about the manner in which she did it. In the book, he tells of a woman, quote, "...who each morning, having consecrated the day to the Lord, as soon as she woke, would ask Him whether she was to get up or not, and would not rise until the voice told her to dress. As she put on each article of clothing, she would ask the Lord whether she was to put it on. And very often the Lord would tell her to put on the right shoe and leave the other off." Sometimes she was to put on both stockings and no shoes. And sometimes both shoes and no stockings. And thus continued, and she would do with all the other articles of clothing. So this woman, she'd wake up and say, Lord, I want to do your will. Should I put on clothes today? And wait until she thought she heard something. And it'd probably be pretty bold and say she, the Lord was not speaking to her. Should I put on my shoes? Okay, we'll put on shoes, but no socks today. Oh, okay, great, Lord. So she just put on her shoes and no socks. Or maybe one day she would just um, put on her dress and just put a sock on one foot and no shoes. No, I mean, we laugh at that. It's comical. It's certainly not biblical truth. But people are so concerned about trying to find out what the Lord's will is for their life. When in reality, God has already told you what His will is. God has already expressed what His desire is through His Word. Right? With clothes. He's giving you guidelines. Scripture says, whatever it is, uh, wear it to my glory and make sure it's modest. But aside from that, wear whatever you like. The knowledge of God's will is not found in some sort of a mystical sign in the sky or a still small voice. It's, it's given to us in His Word. Now, certainly you might not find in God's Word a specific passage on, you know, should I move to Houston or not? But the principles are there. Certainly, it's good to to pray about it and to seek counsel from others and wisdom. But in the end, God has given His principles in His Word. And what He wants is for whatever decision to make is to go along with His commands, to glorify Him, and then you can decide whatever you like. 
The thing I found, though, is that oftentimes when people, maybe even you, when you've prayed for God's will, what you're really praying for is, God, show me the path to which I will be most successful and that I won't run into any problems, that I'll, I'll, I'll make the most amount of money or I'll, I'll get into the school and get the best grades and be successful. When oftentimes, you know what, God's will may be for you to go somewhere and struggle. It may be that you go somewhere and face many trials. And I know this flies in the face of a lot of the, the health and wealth doctrine that we hear and your best life now type of things, but it's the biblical truth. Difficulties don't always mean you're not in God's will. God's will for your life is to bring Him glory. That's what He desires. And oftentimes, He uses those struggles and trials to reveal areas of sin in your life. Areas where you need to trust Him more. What God wants for you, His will, is just obey His word and bring Him glory. And so Paul prays and he's asking his request for this church and all churches, including our own, is that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And how is this primarily found? Through His word. That they would know His word and know how to please God. He wanted them to live more according to their word. And so he said, I'm, I'm praying that you're filled with the knowledge of God. The word filled, it, it means to, you know, to fill up completely or to not be lacking anything. But it can also mean uh, to be driven by something. Kind of like a, a wind would fill, a, you know, wind fills sails on, on a ship and blows them wherever they may go. The word filled means to be complete but also driven by. And, and knowledge here, it's a, it's a deeper form of knowledge. Uh, and it just means to be not lacking a deeper, close knowledge in this instance of God's word. Paul's prayer for the, the Colossians here was that they would be driven by God's Word and the knowledge found in Scripture. And Paul doesn't stop there. He says to be filled with God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom here is it's not just head knowledge, it's seasoned knowledge. Seasoned knowledge of, of how to, uh, to know God and, and to know Him deeper. And understanding here is how to apply the knowledge. So in, in, in Paul's opening prayer to him, he says, I, I gave thanks for you, but now I want you to grow in your maturity and your faith. And this begins by knowing God's word more and knowing how to apply it in everyday life. That you have understanding so that when you see a situation, you know right away. You don't have to go and look in your Bible. You don't have to call uh, your pastor or your mom. You just know, okay, this is what God would want me to do because his word tells me to. That's what his desire was for them and and for us as well. He wanted God's word, his will, to pour forth from their life. And why? Why does he want this? Why? Why is he praying for this? Well, he makes it clear in verse 10. Going back, he says, I, I'm praying that you might be filled in the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Well, Paul's desire is for this church in Colossae and, and, and the same principles apply to us. It's his desire was that the Spirit would enable them to walk in a way that's worthy of the name they bear. They call themselves Christians. And that means they're a follower of Jesus Christ. Are you a Christian? The world recognizes that if you're a Christian, you follow Jesus Christ. And, and, and that is a magnificent name to bear. And so Paul's desire is that you walk worthy of that name. That's what he wanted them to grow in. 
He's, he's grateful to the Lord that they, they received faith and that the Lord was working with them, but he wanted them to grow and increase it all the more. What greater aim, what greater goal in, their, in life is there to be able to be said, you walk worthy of the name Jesus Christ? That should be our, our chief aim in all things we do. Do you think about walking worthy when you talk with your friends at school? Do you think about uh, walking worthy when you have conversations with your coworkers, or when you're uh, out with having, you know, playing games with friends, or out, out in parties with other families? Do you think about walking worthy in all the things you do? So how do you do it? You might say, well, James, okay, I, I know I want to walk worthy, but what exactly does that mean? Well, Paul gives us some helpful descriptions of this. It's not necessarily a comprehensive list, but if you follow what he says here, you're well on your way to walking worthy and fully pleasing the Lord. And so in these next couple verses, uh, verses 10 through 12, uh, Paul describes four elements of godliness to strive for so that you walk worthy of the Lord. Four elements of godliness to strive for so that you walk worthy of the Lord. And the first one is this. Bear fruit in every good work. Bear fruit. In verse 10, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. The command to bear fruit is a, it's a common metaphor in Scripture, one we see oftentimes, especially in the teachings of Jesus and even John the Baptist. In fact, John, uh, John says in 15.5, whoever, uh, Jesus, I'm sorry, says in John 15.5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Bearing fruit is depending upon God and obeying Him. And so some might say, well, what do you mean? What is bearing fruit? I, I don't understand. I'm not a farmer. I, I don't really get this idea of bearing fruit. What is bearing fruit? Fruit is results of something. That's all it is. Okay? Uh, the fruit of you know, exercising and watching what you eat is losing weight. The fruit of studying hard and doing all your homework is getting a good grade, typically. Yes, typically. The fruit of knowing God's word and obeying it is every kind of good work. That's what will result. Growing in God's word, knowing it, it will result in fruit. And Paul, in the, in the letter to the Galatians, gives an ex- excellent list of, of what kind of fruits that you as a Christian should bear. What are the things that God uh, expects of you and how will He work in you? And these are called the fruits of the Spirit. You may have heard of them. And so we touched on this a little bit last time, but I, I thought it would be profitable to do so again this morning. So, if you would, flip over to Galatians chapter 5 for a moment. And here, Paul essentially instructing the Galatians, the church in Galatia, to much the same that he is in, Col- in the Colossian church. He says, if you're a Christian, the moment you become a Christian, a true Christian, the instant you do, you receive the Holy Spirit who permanently dwells in you. And when that happens, certain results, fruits, will take place. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfected in them immediately. It's a a lifelong process of sanctification and growing in them. But these are the type of things that should be coming forth in your life. If they're not, if you're not doing any of these, or you think you maybe got one down, but the rest are not even visible in your life, you know what, you should really examine if you really know the Lord or not. So beginning in verse 22 of chapter 5 in Galatians, Paul says, 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You want to walk worthy of Jesus Christ? You want to walk worthy in a manner pleasing to Him? Then bear fruit. Because these fruit, these characteristics that, God just, uh, that Paul just uh, listed, they reveal and reflect God's character. These are all traits that God Himself reflects. And the one who reflects God is the one in whom God is well pleased. When you reflect God in your life, you are walking worthy of Him. Because when you do it, the world knows that's not of you. That is not of you. Because, you know, let's face it. In general, we are selfish and rotten to the core. We are. We need God's Spirit to change us and make a transformation in our life. And when that happens, the world sees a difference in us and glorifies God saying, Wow, something's different about that man. Something is dif- something's different about her. What is it? That's walking worthy of the Lord. Jesus said again in, in John fifteen eight, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So here Paul, he, he wants them to grow in spiritual maturity and walk worthy, and it begins here at least by bearing fruit. Look at this list. I challenge you even this week, think about where, where are areas that you might be able to grow from the fruits of the Spirit. Because if you have the, the Spirit within you, you can The first element of godliness that that Paul describes is bearing fruit in your life. The second is this. Increasing in your knowledge of God. Increasing in your knowledge of God. He writes in verse 10, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, back to Colossians chapter 1, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. The commentator William Hendrickson writes, The more you know Him, God, the more you will love Him. And the more you love Him, the more you will also wish to obey Him in thought, word, and deed. Now, you might be thinking, wait, so, I mean, I know it's a little cliche, James, but are you saying that the more I read my Bible, if I just, you know, put in more time, the more godly I will be? Well, not necessarily, but it's probably a safe bet. It's probably a safe bet. The person who reads God's Word more, it's probably a good bet that they're going to be probably more godly than the person who doesn't read God's Word very much. That's not too much of a stretch, is it? Because bearing fruit and growing in the knowledge of God are directly linked. In order to bear fruit, you must know what God requires. And in order to know what He requires, you must grow and you must read the Bible. And the more you read the Bible, the more your knowledge of God will grow. A person who walks worthy of the Lord is someone who can tell you all about Him and do so gladly and with joy. Let me tell you about my God. Let me think, if you, if you ever traveled to uh, uh, Washington, D.C. or New York and you were, let's say, to, uh, you bump into an ambassador. Let's say it was the ambassador to the country of Luxembourg. And you say, oh, you're from Luxembourg. That's, that's nice. So, so you know, uh, tell me about your country. Um, how many people do you guys have? Lots. Okay. Well, um, like, what's your country like? Oh, it's, it's nice. There's, we have trees and rivers. It's mountains. We have some mountains, too. Okay. Sounds 
like Monroe. Um, what, uh, you know, how many people do you have? Mm, I'm not really sure. When, when, when did you become a country? I don't know either. You'd probably be thinking, this is the worst ambassador ever. Why is he? He's not worthy to represent his country. He doesn't know anything. He's, I mean, he might be from there, but he's not a worthy ambassador. But then, a different scenario is if you were to bump into this man and, and he says he's an ambassador to Luxembourg, and you say, oh, yeah, tell me about Luxembourg. I don't know much about it. He's like, oh, Luxembourg. It's one of the smallest countries in Europe, but don't be deceived. Sometimes the, smallest thing, the best things come in small packages. It's beautiful there. There's rocks, all lush forests, mountains and rivers. The people speak French and German and a fair amount of English too. The people are friendly. The cities are beautiful. I know if you come and visit, you'll love it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to Luxembourg. This sounds great. You would think, okay, here's a, here's a gentleman who loves his country and is not afraid to tell you about it. He, he has pride in his country and, and, and he knows about it because he loves it. Let me ask you, what would your response be if someone said, tell me about God? What would you say? Would you be able to tell people about his marvelous attributes and and his marvelous works that he's done and his faithfulness and his goodness? Or would you say, he's he's big. He created things and Jews, he likes the Jews, I think. (laughs) What would you say? Are you a worthy ambassador? Because you know what? Scripture calls all Christians ambassadors of Christ. So grow in your knowledge. And if you grow in your knowledge of Him, you'll grow in your love of Him. And the more you do, you walk worthy of Him. And that's what His desire was for the church in Colossae, Paul's. And and, and His desire would be the same for us too if He was writing to us today. Increase in your knowledge of God. And you'll walk worthy. Number three. Number one was bear fruits through good works. Number two, grow in the knowledge, increase in your knowledge of God. Number three, strength for all endurance and patience. Verse 11, strengthened, or may you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Being a true believer, being a worthy believer means sticking with it to the end. You're not, in, you're not into it because of what you might get from God. You're into it because it's truth. And you need God. And you're going to stick with it through life or death, through triumph or trial. You're going to stick with it and strive to serve God despite any circumstances that you might face. And when you grow in your knowledge of God, your strength and your courage will increase. Because you start to know and you start to see what life is really all about. Serving and worshiping our great God and King. It's not about money. It's not about prestige or how many kids you have or where you live. All those things, they're not irrelevant, but ultimately, they're just a means to point you in a way so that you can glorify God in many different aspects of life. And that's why he, God calls rich people, God calls poor people. He calls people from all sorts of different walks because all of us can glorify Him no matter where you are in life. And the more you know God's word, the more you know His promises towards His believers and and His faithfulness, both to people in the past and even to you and people you know now. He said, I I will never leave you or forsake you. And so, even the writer of Hebrews in in 13.6, in thinking about this, says, and as Christians then, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. 
What can man do to me? Nothing. They can take away our life, which in the short run seems big, but in the end, glorifying God is so much greater than that. In the end, we've been saved, we've been redeemed by His grace. And this boldness comes not from our own power, surely we can all understand that, but from God's power. That's why Paul says he's praying that he might be, they might be strengthened according to God's glorious might. You know what this glorious might is like? It's powerful. It parted the Red Sea. It made the sun stand still. It shut the mouths of lions. It raised the dead. And if it can do that, surely it is capable and sufficient to help you get through anything that you might face. If you depend on Him, if you pray and, 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 and walk with the Lord, if you try to do it on your own strength without prayer, without you know, the body of believers aiding you, if you try to do it on your own, just kind of coasting through the, the Bible studies you've learned or the Sunday school, that you, you know, all the knowledge that you had when you were younger, you're going to stumble. You're going to stumble. And you know what? Some people have even failed and, and fell away altogether. You know, the truths of the Lord's parable of the sower are unfortunately all too realistic, aren't they? The troubles of the world choke. The lack of, of root scorches people and, they, and they, they, they have no real faith. And so Paul says, walking worthy means depending on the Lord and being strengthened by His glorious might. The more you bear fruit, the more you'll know God and the more you know God, the stronger you will be. Strengthen for all endurance. All endurance or steadfastness or patience. You know, endurance and patience are kind of similar words. They kind of go hand in hand oftentimes. Endurance kind of refers to sticking it out and, and enduring difficult circumstances. Patience means sticking it out, but usually when it involves other people, right? Circumstances and people. And oftentimes they go hand in hand, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes you have to endure difficulties in times of, you know, you might be struggling financially or your own health. Where it's like, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this, Lord. And then sometimes patience means dealing with difficult people. You know, it might be people who are persecuting you for your faith, or it might just be uh, a coworker or a boss who, for some reason, doesn't like you. You know what? It also might be your husband, or your wife, or your sisters, or your brothers who are having a bad day, or a bad week, or a bad month. But as Christians, we depend on God's Word, and He'll strengthen us even for those things. So that we would walk worthy and represent Him. God is patient with us in, his, in, his, in our shortcomings, isn't He? And so He's called us to be patient with others and endure others. It's not a coincidence that uh, the people that we often respect most and look highly on in, in the faith are people who endured with difficult circumstances. Those missionaries and people who, even through persecution, stayed faithful to the Lord and showed His loving kindness to others when even they didn't deserve it, isn't it? You walk worthy of the Lord who himself, people spit on him, people smacked him in the face, and yet he endured and was patient and gave God glory. And that's, that's what we're called to do. Does it mean you're going to be perfect? No. But our desire is to grow in that so we walk worthy and represent him. And finally, the, the last element of godliness that Paul describes is, is giving thanks with joy or joyous thanksgiving. Verse 11, he says, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. And Paul goes in and, and, he, and he expounds further in verses to come on why we need to give thanks. And so we won't spend a lot of time here, but 
the rationality, this characteristic makes sense, doesn't it? That his point is clear enough that as a Christian, thanksgiving should radiate from your life. Thanksgiving to God for all that he has done for you and, and for people you know. For the things that he's done in the past, for the things that he's doing in your life right now. Even for the things that he will do for you in the future. Because you know that as a Christian, as a person, you were once lost and alienated in this world. You were an enemy of God who deserved to be punished because of your sin. But God demonstrated His love for you that while you were a sinner, God died for you through His Son, Jesus Christ. Joyful thanksgiving is a natural response to this, isn't it? It's kind of like the the affection that you would show a firefighter who pulled you out of the flames of a burning building. What would you do? You, You would hug that person and you would say, Thank you. Thank you for saving me. Well, how much more has God saved us from the burning fires of hell? And so we give thanks to Him, but joyfully. Not, not mundane, not kind of ho-hum, oh, I'm going to church this week because yeah, God saved me, I guess. That's not the attitude of, a, of a, a, a man or woman walking worthy. It's God, thank you. I love you. You saved me. You are marvelous. Your attributes are wonderful. And I worship you. And oddly, you, you would think that this element, you would think that this characteristic would be the, the easiest and the most natural, and yet, for some, it's the most difficult. Maybe some for you here. Your attitude, it's so easy to get focused on the here and now and the struggles for the day and forget about the big picture and forget about, man, how God is working around you and in your life and how He's worked in the lives of your family and let alone that He saved you, but all these different things. Forgetting about all the prayers, even the little ones that God has answered and you neglected to thank Him for. You know, finding your keys or giving you that job or, or getting you through traffic on time when you're late for appointment. Have you ever prayed for that? I have. God was very gracious. It's so easy to focus on the here and now and, and Paul is reminding the church here and in turn reminds us an attitude of walking worthy is giving thanks to God joyously and letting that characteristic radiate from your life every day. And you've been around those people who it radiates from, and it's contagious. It's like, man, the joy of the Lord is just flowing out of this person. I want to be like that. I want to be like that. If you need a place to start in growing in godliness and walking worthy of your faith, start here. Start by joyously giving thanks to God the Father every day you wake up. Because the more you do that, you will be driven to know more about Him. And to want to love and serve Him. And from that is going to flow, flow fruits. And from that is going to increase in your knowledge of God. Give thanks to Him for what He's done. And make that a regular part of your life. So Paul, he gives us a glimpse on what it means to walk worthy. What it means to, to honor the Lord with the way you, you live. And, and he says it begins by just growing in your knowledge of His will. And all understanding and knowledge through the power of His Spirit. And then bear fruits of every kind of good work. Increase in your knowledge of Him so you might know how to please Him better and know Him more so that you can gladly tell others about Him. It means enduring, trusting in Him and being patient when times are rough. We know it's not easy. We know you're not going to be perfect and He knows, but He can provide the strength you need. And finally, it means just have a life of joyous thanksgiving to Him. Grow in these things, live in these things, and you will walk worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. 
Father, we give thanks, Lord, for this morning, for this, this wonderful reminder to us about um, all that you've done for us and the privilege, and the privilege it is um, to, to be named amongst your people. Lord, what a, what a high honor it is to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ, the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I, I pray that it would be the desire of everybody in this room um, to, to know you and to be known by you and also to live lives that are worthy of the name that we bear. Father, that when we stand before you, we, we will not be ashamed of our works, Lord, but that we would hear, well done, good and faithful servant, Lord. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness, Father, and, and pray that you would strengthen us to, to be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.